What would your life look like if you truly believed you could do anything? I think many mums lack in self-confidence because they're taught to do so. Today on Feed, Play, Love, therapist Mel Schilling from Maths is going to help us find our mojo. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Have you ever given your child advice and while you're giving it, know that you don't always practice what you preach? I know I do, especially when I'm coaching my kids to be brave. It might be about trying something new or having a hard conversation with a friend. I've got all the right words when it comes to coaching them, but when it comes to myself, not so much. Mel Schilling is a therapist on Married at First Sight. She's also a confidence coach who has just released the C word, confidence, make friends with fear and build confidence from the ground up. And we're going to be talking about why parents need to embrace the C word. Hi, Mel. How are you? Hello. What a great intro. Thank you. How do you get past that title, though? It's so, <laughs> it's so cheeky. I love it. It is cheeky and quite intentional. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it works. It works. What does confidence mean to you? I think, for me, it means the difference between really living your life or just being a bit of an observer in life. You know, I think... For me, the, the, the term confidence encapsulates so many other things like courage and assertiveness and resilience and willingness to back yourself and believe that you actually deserve more than what you've got. So I think it, it really is a great differentiator when it comes to looking at the difference between people who live a mediocre life and those who actually really thrive. Which is so interesting you say that. Because I know parents listening probably want this for themselves, but they also will want it for their children. And I mentioned earlier that I don't always practice what I preach, mm -hmm. but I do think my preaching game is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> well, you are a mum. <laughs> is that enough? Is it enough just to have the words and not to show the action? Do you know what? I think this is that classic cliche about when you're on the aeroplane and you grab the air mask and you put it on yourself first before your child. I think that is so relevant here. You know, and I, I see examples of this all the time in, you know, in the parents' groups at, at school where, you know, there there is a kid who's really confident and thriving and doing really well and they look up to their mum and dad and one or both parents are, you know, standing there in contractive poses and, you know, looking all downcast and low energy and, you know, I wonder how long it's going to be before the child learns that and unlearns their natural positivity. You know, so much of what we do every day is driven by our thoughts, the stories that we tell ourselves. And if we're telling ourselves that, oh, my life's no good and I'm, I'm not going to be anything other than what I am right now and nothing's going to change and, you know, all of that doomsday catastrophic thinking, then that's just going to flow through into our emotional life, which then drives our behavioural life, the choices we make, the things we say, the decisions and so on. So it all comes back to how we talk to ourselves. When I became a mum, I felt like, okay, I have to knuckle down now. I'm going to focus on keeping this little being alive. And it actually felt like my plate's too full. I can't take any risks. You know, when it came to work, I was going to take the easy option because I just couldn't deal with the sleepless nights and, and then 
try to manage that with work. And I'm wondering if that's something you see with the parents you work with, you know, that things, um, goals or aspirations or taking risks sort of tend to fall to the wayside once they have kids and then they just forget to pick them back up when their parenting responsibilities might get a bit reduced. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we know that our self-care drops off when we have kids. That That's a given. We talk about that all the time, but we don't necessarily talk about this little slither of self-care, which relates to our confidence and the way we see ourselves in the world. You know, you said something before about the way we speak to our kids and versus the way we speak to ourselves. And I would actually argue that the way we speak to ourselves is more important than the way we speak to our kids. Because, you know, when we communicate, it's only about 7% that is received that comes from the words that we say. And the rest of that comes from the way we say it and the way we live. So role modelling is so much more powerful than telling our kids what to do or who to be. So this stuff is absolutely critical. And I think, you know, if we're able to forge out time in our schedules to go to the gym or get to a yoga class or catch up with friends, then, you know, we need to prioritise time to actually look at ourselves and do some personal growth too. Speaking of personal growth, which is what your book is all about, when it comes to confidence, uh, <laughs> the key to it seems to be taking risks, uh-huh. which is uh, also seems to be the hardest part. Yeah. Why is it important that we get used to taking risks? Okay. In my book, I talk about this concept of smart courage. So it's not just courage. It's It's not jumping out of the plane without a parachute. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in you've got to get out of your comfort zone in order to achieve. You know, you see all these things pop up on Instagram saying everything you want is just on the other side of fear. <laughs> I think it's rubbish. Oh, good. <laughs> it's rubbish. It's not the case. Well, it's, it might be true for some people. It might be true for some men, mm. but that's not how women operate. What we're driven by is connection and nurturing and sense of belonging and feeling safe and comfortable. We know this about ourselves. In fact, we go through life seeking it, you know, in every aspect of our lives, whether we know it or not. So for women, taking a risk and doing it in a way that is going to serve you and actually make you feel good looks a little different. It's not jumping out. So smart courage for me is made up of two things, intellectual savviness and emotional bravery. So We've got to use our left brain and our right brain here. So when it comes to that intellectual side of it, don't just jump. Think it through. So put some plans in place. If you're going to do something, let's let's make this tangible. Let's make an example. Let's say you want to return to the workforce after having kids, really popular one. So rather than just applying for a job, getting the job, boom, you're in, why don't you spend a bit of time doing the research about how other people feel in that job, for example. Connect with some kind of network, you know, so that you can get to know some other people, some other mums specifically, so you can really connect and understand. Talk to clients of the business or go and observe people. Go and talk to people who are in that job and understand what it's like for them. Do your due diligence. So, and and then also put things in place from a practical point of view. What are you going to do about childcare? Who's going to step up? Who's going to come into that that little um, tribe for you to support you in going back to work? So be really smart and strategic about the way you do it. And then on the flip side, 
you've got to do your emotional due diligence too. What's going to be the impact on you? Imagine in an ideal world if there was a thing called mother guilt. Imagine. <laughs> imagine if that existed. Well, imagine if that came up, which of course we all know it will. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to manage that? Who's going to be your support person? Who are you going to debrief those guilty feelings with? Tip, preferably not your partner because they have their own vested interest in this. So find a girlfriend, find a a kindred spirit that you can talk about this stuff with and not be shamed or judged and just, you know, be able to let it out and, and feel safe. So emotionally, what is it going to do for you to actually leave your child? Have you practiced it? Maybe do that. Do some little social experiments. Practice leaving your child for half a day, a day. Come back, do some journaling, write about how it feels. So you can see I'm painting the picture here of quite a mindful, considered approach to risk-taking. Still taking a risk because you're expanding your comfort zone, but you're not stepping straight out of it and into the fire. Okay, let's talk about the fire though, Mm -hmm. because eventually you you just cannot avoid it Mm -hmm. forever. And in your example, let's say that fire is a new workplace. Mm -hmm. And if we're looking at mums who have potentially been out of the workforce for a while, what that fire is and why it's so scary can come down to the thought that, you know, I haven't done this for so long. I've lost all my skills. All I know how to do now, and I say all in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. is feed my baby, take it to the park. I only know how to do toddler babble and I hardly ever speak to other adults. So there's kind of a dual level of skills and social feelings of incompetence. Yes. So let's say you're using your smart courage and you've done all that research, but then you, you really, to me, that's the crux of confidence is you have to step over that line and into that space. That's it. How do we deal with that? Yeah, that's that's a great topic. And and what you're describing there often leads to imposter syndrome, doesn't it? I'm sure yep. your listeners are familiar with that, that idea that oh, everyone's going to expose me. I'm, I'm, I'm just a mum. I only want to do toddler babble. I've got no idea how to speak up in this meeting. They're going to call me out for being a fraud. So all that kind of self-talk sets in, and of course it does. You know, the first the first message there is don't be hard on yourself when those thoughts come up because it's natural. That's just self-preservation, you know, because coming back to that natural drive, particularly in women, that we want to feel safe. But you don't have to be a victim to your internal monologue. So this is where some reframing becomes really, really important. All of this comes back to the way you think. The thinking style and the things you're saying to yourself is the number one starting point. Everything else will flow from that. So coming back to the thinking What really helps here are some simple, some people call them affirmations or mission statements or just little, little words or sentences to remind you of who you are and who you want to be in this environment. Put it on your phone, make little pop-ups come up throughout the day. This is who I am. You know, this is, this is what I believe. This is what I contribute. These are my strengths. Can be an incredibly powerful process to really just get those strengths of yours top of mind. And then there's some other techniques that you can do. Let's say you are that mum and you're about to go into, you know, the first meeting and you're going to need to contribute amongst your peers and senior people and you're just feeling so insignificant and just being really harsh in the way you're judging yourself. There's nothing wrong with a power pose. 
<laughs> oh, I love Power Poses. We love Amy Cuddy. <laughs> and look, I'm a huge, huge fan. And look, I, I do write about that in the book, but I also talk about different ways of modifying this to make it actually more personal for you. And in fact, I have a, a free workshop coming up on this very topic oh, on the great. 31st of August, so people can follow my socials to, to find out about that. But if you can do your power pose and add to it some other layers, so for example, if you've got some kind of mantra or, or statement that you want to say to yourself, spend those two minutes in the loo before you go into the meeting, stand in your power pose. So whether that's the Wonder Woman, whether it's the victory, whatever that is for you, stand in it for two minutes and say this mantra to yourself. You know, some people like to do it listening maybe to a song, you know, put, put the earbuds in. Is there, a, is there a motivating positive song that you love? Put that on. Is there a colour that you can wear that you associate with maybe a time gone by when you were more confident? Link back into that so that when you get into that meeting, you've got that instant burst of self-belief and you know you can do it. I have uh, my own little case study in confidence, if you like. Mm -hmm. And a while back, I spoke to um, Dr. Rebecca Ray, psychologist, uh -huh. about this, and she was going to keep tabs on me. But my um, case study was handstands. I uh -huh. mentioned to you, I just finished a course on handstands. Amazing. And... I have an absolute terror of being upside down oh. and, I, and also a dislike of humiliation. Mm. <laughs> How human of you. <laughs> Especially when you're doing bunny hops in a class full of yoga students who yes. can all do it and you can't. Mm. Um, and one thing that I have taken away both from the com initial conversation I had with Rebecca and the experience of this was she said to me, confidence takes practice. Yeah. And what I've learned, I still can't do a handstand, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> However, what I have learned from the teacher who was teaching the course was that it is it, it could be a long road to doing a handstand. It depends how much you want it. Mm, and yes. you talk a lot about connecting to your why yes. and how important that is in finding confidence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and that's a great example, figuring out how much you want it. Well, when what you want is bigger than what you fear, that's when courage emerges. That's what we want to focus in on here. So back to the example of the woman returning to work after kids, for her to spend a bit of time sitting down and thinking about why do I want to return to work? What are my goals? What am I actually working towards here? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? What kind of role model do I want to be for my kiddos? What do I want them to see when they look at me? That kind of stuff, and there might be other points there too, is so important to hook into because that can be so much bigger and more powerful and valuable to you than the stuff that you fear. Mm. And when you're able to do that and really in your focus, you know, even if you just visualize that stuff, the positive stuff being really big and the fears being really small, and you can do that through visualization. And, you know, something I, I really talk a lot to my clients about is that moment when your head hits the pillow and when you're getting sleepy, you're not quite asleep yet, you get into that really deep, relaxed state. It's an alpha state in terms of brain waves, And it's your most creative time. And it's the best time to do some visualization and to project forward to tomorrow. This is what I want tomorrow to be like. And that is the perfect opportunity to really blow up, like on a big TV screen in your mind, the thing that you want 
or the person you want to be and maybe the way you want your kids to look at you, maybe mm. the things you want your kids to write about you in their little stories. Maybe it's even the way you want them to draw you, which is a really interesting way and a creative way to look at it. Make it really, really big and then allow yourself to to ponder those little fears, but see them really small and see them in black and white. Make the, the big ones in colour, make the fear black and white, insignificant, and then just let them drift away. It makes a lot of sense to do that because I think when you go back to work after having kids, or at least I found, it has to be something really worthwhile to, yeah. for you to leave your children. I mean, having said that, of course, most of us have to work anyway mm. in order to pay for all the things. But even when you're doing that, you're thinking, what it, this needs to be worthwhile because I'm missing out on being with my children. That's right. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense to stop and actually think mm. about that. Um, so one of those, <laughs> I still go back to the fear. Mm. It's such a big thing, isn't it? It is. Um, let's say if we move away from um, going back to work and we talk mm. about something like re-entering social situations, okay. right? Yeah. So maybe all you've done is gone to mother's group and mm. be with your baby. And again, all in the inverted commas because <laughs> parenting yeah. is a full-time gig. Of so it's, it's, in, it's taking all your time for a reason. Yeah. But say you've decided, okay, you've been invited to this party mm-hmm. And it's the first party, but there's going to be a lot of people that you don't know and you won't have much time to practice pre mm. then because you've got a week with your kid. Yeah. How can we be okay with that fear of I'm going to go into a room with all these people who aren't going to want to talk about breastfeeding and yeah. that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? The thing I like about fear is it's, it's there with us throughout life, whether we like it or not. And it's there for a reason. You know, if we look at our evolution, fear comes up as a way of self-preservation. We know this. We know that we all have different physiological reactions to fear. You know, for some of you, it might be getting a bit sweaty or it might be the heart rate going up. You might have shallow, fast breath. Um, You might get red in the cheeks. Whatever it is for you, know your own fear response is is a really important step. But what's really interesting from a physiological point of view is that those symptoms are exactly the same as symptoms of excitement. So you can play a little trick on your brain here where let's say you're in that scenario, you're about to enter into this social environment, you feel really rusty. Rather than hooking into those those thoughts about, oh, no one's going to want to talk about breastfeeding. I don't know what to say. I can't make small talk. I've forgotten how to do it. I'm so rusty. Flip it and say to yourself, I am so excited to walk into this room. This is a new chapter for me. I'm going to meet some new people and start talking about something other than my breasts, (laughs) unless I want to. (laughs) That's such a good way to think about it. I mean, the reframing our thoughts, uh, it it can be so simple and yet so Mm. powerful, can't it? Simple, but not easy. No, no, Mm. exactly. Mm. Is that a matter of practice as well? Oh, yes. So the more you do it, the more you might believe it. Absolutely. Okay, I'm just going to say, I can kick up to a handstand. (laughs) And you're excited about the idea of trying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I do not care about looking like a donkey. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you had to leave parents with one 
take-home piece of advice about sort of rediscovering their confidence or mm. I call it their mojo, you know, yeah. that excitement and that um, wanting to live a bigger life. What would that one piece of advice be? Firstly, believe that you deserve it. And secondly, know that you can do it because you've done it before. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Mel, thank you so much for your time today. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Mel Schilling. Her book is called The C Word, Confidence. Make friends with fear and build confidence from the ground up. And you'll find links to the book in the notes of this episode, as well as Mel's Instagram, where you can find lots of information about all the courses and extra good things that she's doing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.